Um, I do want to start with an apology. Um, the green up there, um, we had a, a, a vote in our office, and um, my daughter told me that the green reminded her and my grandchildren of cartoons where something was poisonous, and, uh, you know, I think you can think Batman and maybe Poison Ivy or something like that. Um, and so if you find the green distracting or the spinning globe distracting, uh, for those of you that may be a little ADD, um, it could be. Um, I do apologize, but this is the way the template came, and I was too lazy to change it after I'd gone to all the work of putting it in there. So um, maybe uh, you'll just remember the, the, the green presentation that uh, really wasn't poisonous. So I appreciate you for coming, uh, coming this morning and hope that we can share together and that we can learn together because this is about a team. I just came from an excellent session with uh, Dr. Michael Smith, and he talked about the importance of culture and building relationship. And so that's really what we're about this morning. We're about how do we build relationship. And so our um, disclosure information is here. And if you come for a CEU, you can sign up for those. Our learning objectives, I think, are significant, and I hope that at the end of our time together that you will feel that you have mastered these or at least addressed them well enough to be able to think about them um, effectively. So, one, we want you to understand the importance of transcultural intelligence, and I'll explain more about that later. If you already knew it, you wouldn't need to come, right? Uh, recognize a group that uses cultural intelligence strategically, which I think is important because sometimes we're groups, but we're neither strategic nor culturally intelligent, so we want to talk about that too. And then to engage in exercises to build personal and collective cultural intelligence using TCQ. So how many of you can answer those questions now? Okay, good. So our outcome could potentially be 100%, right? 100% growth. Uh, which is, is really great. Um, Metrics Research Group, and I'm the executive director of Metrics Research Group, and Astrid Cortez at the back is um, part of our group as well. We work with organizations to help them quantify or identify what happens when they do their work so they can track and measure change, which is an important part of being more effective. But one of the barriers to effectiveness that we've seen very often is that Teams are not teams. Unfortunately, in our Western culture, we start by talking about individuals. We think of ourselves as individuals. We think of ourselves in the first person singular, not the first person plural. And most of the world actually thinks of themselves in the first person plural. And so we need to make that shift. And so... Transcultural intelligence starts with asking the question of whether we're going to be culturally competent or going to be culturally intelligent. It's really important for us to understand the difference here. Competence is adequate physical or intellectual qualifications to do something. So if you're culturally competent, that means that you are able to function in a culture could be your own culture. Some of us are not that good at that, and I'm, I would be one that's included in that group. Some of us are competent to function in other cultures, some of them specific. And so that means that you have learned the do's and don'ts, the etiquette, the, etiquette, the uh, language of that culture. You're able to communicate. You're able to think like people think in that culture. 
And that would make you culturally competent. There is a difference between competence and intelligence. Intelligence is the capacity to use experience or information to derive effective solutions to a problem or challenge. Now, that's a formal definition. But what that simply means is that when we encounter a problem, based on what we've already learned and what we're drawing in as information from the environment in which we find ourselves, we're able to derive a solution that is correct for that particular environment. And that's what intelligence is. It doesn't matter whether it's IQ. They give you a test. They tell you, here's a scenario. Uh, X number of people were walking to wherever it is with so many pounds of stuff on their back, and this person's got this many pounds. Tell us how many pounds they have and how long it's going to take them to get there. Well, you should be able to derive that if you've got high IQ. I mean, I'm not there, but that's where we're at. Emotional intelligence is the same kind of thing. It's like, how do you use your own understanding of your emotions, the emotions of others, and the emotional context in order to use that emotional power to come up with a better solution than you would have if you hadn't thought about all those things. So that's emotional intelligence. Cultural intelligence says that effective behavior in cross-cultural situations means that you can derive a strategy that will work in a new environment. In a new cross-cultural environment, you're able to take what you've already learned, the information you're able to gather from that environment at that moment in time, and develop a strategy that is going to make you more effective than you would have otherwise been. Now, that's a big difference between competence and intelligence. Competence says, this is the right way to do it in this culture. Intelligence says, I may be encountering people in this culture that are not part of the cultural norm. And I would argue that in the environments in which we live, there are no cultural norms. If I said to you, when you're in Japan, this is the way you should greet somebody, you're going to be wrong at least 70% of the time because you're going to run into youth culture, you're going to run into formal culture, you're going to run into traditional culture, you're going to run into wealthy people who are very international, you're going to run into local people who are very local, and so you're going to be wrong even though you are culturally competent, which means that in Japan you would need to develop at least 50 or 60 cultural competence in order to be competent in every culture in Japan. And there are some areas, some countries in the world, some civilizations like America that are even more complex than that. And so it isn't enough to be culturally competent. So when we think about this, we can say that intelligence makes you competent, but competence doesn't mean that you're intelligent. And so what we want to talk about today is how do we become more intelligent, not simply competent. TCQ is an approach that says it's not enough to be personally intelligent. So you could have a great deal of cultural intelligence. That means that you can go into a, any cultural situation and you're going to be able to derive a strategy that's appropriate for that culture. That would make you extremely high CQ. And Dr. David Livermore has actually prepped that and done a really, really good job of helping you think through how you would be individually Intelligence, But unfortunately, in cross-cultural situations, we're rarely there alone. How many of you have heard the story of Robinson Crusoe? Robinson Crusoe could be culturally intelligent until he met the cannibals. 
then he was no longer alone and it didn't matter how much intelligence he had. Now he was dealing with people that wanted to eat him. And so he had to work with them. And in every cross-cultural environment in which you find yourself, by definition, you are not alone. And that means that the cultural intelligence that you have is modified by the cultural intelligence of the people around you. And so the cultural intelligence that you can function at is the mean of the group that you are in. Wow. When I had that realization, I said, we in Western think have made a big mistake when we talk about developing individual skill sets. Because what we have to do is figure out how do we develop collective skill sets. So TCQ is an innovative process, but it's not a system. There's four parts, and this is roughly based, for anybody that's familiar with CQ, on David Livermore's drive, knowledge, strategy, and action. So drive is the team is comprised of, uh, comprised of individual motivation. So everybody on your team is motivated by something. We usually assume that people are motivated by the same thing we are. That's not true. Most people are not motivated by the same thing you are, and you may be poorly motivated. Now, for those of you that would like the PowerPoint, I can send it to you, but not as a PowerPoint. I can send it to you as a PDF, because unfortunately, when I started, I put a lock code on it, which means I would have to share the lock code with all of you, because every time I open it, I have to remember the lock code, which is really annoying. But I do have a PDF of the PowerPoint, which I'll send you if you ask. So drive is, why do we do what we do? And it's really very important, and that's what we're going to focus on today is TCQ Drive. Knowledge is, how do we get the information that we need in order to make strategic decisions? Strategy is, how do we form plans based on that knowledge, which is appropriate for the internal and external environments in which we find ourselves? And action is, how do we implement that information and that strategy so that, not so that I'm satisfied, but so that the people we intend to impact with our activity, our love, the love of God, are transformed, and their needs and their felt desires and their measure of success is met. If they say you are successful, you're successful. If you say you're successful, you may not be. So it's very important for us to begin to think in the first person plural instead of the first person singular. Now, how do we get to that? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Here we have a, a rough diagram, and again, it's a template I pulled off, and I probably wouldn't use something so mechanical because I think we're dealing with something that's a lot more organic, and, or, and so, but this, is, this worked for me, so you'll have to excuse it. But I want to use a computer analogy here. How many of you have a computer? How many of you have a program that every once in a while says you're updating your computer? Okay, usually mine is updating when I'm shutting it down to go to the airport and it says do not disconnect and do not turn this off. And uh, there's 19 updates. Uh, the 17th one seems to take like 10 minutes, right? And you're let me go. Okay, how many of you on your computer, you've got virus scans, you've got all these other things. Okay, they're there, right? Why are they there? Because you're connected to the real world. If your computer never connected to anything else, if it never changed the programs, 
if it never went online, if you never introduced somebody else's drive, then you wouldn't need to ever worry about that because you're not connected. So Robinson Crusoe, disconnected, didn't need to worry about any of that stuff. He didn't need to worry about culture. It was him. But as soon as you touch somebody else's life, now you're engaged. So think about that, is that in a computer's life, it has to constantly update, constantly change, constantly protect itself. It's constantly at work. Why? Because the environment in which that computer functions is constantly changing. And it's the same thing with culture. Culture is constantly changing. So when we think about transcultural teams and we think about culture, we're talking about an environment that is constantly at change. We could go into uh, a rural community anywhere in the world and we could begin to describe how that community's culture functions. And a hundred years ago, somebody could describe that community's culture and 50 years later, somebody could come back and say, you know, they did a good job of describing that culture. But I defy you to go anywhere in the world now and describe a culture and come back even 10 years later and say, you know, they, that guy got it all wrong. Because even rural cultures in remote parts of the world are changing so rapidly. They have access to information. They have access to outside. And the more connected you are, the more rapidly your external and internal environments are changing. Which means that to become competent in any culture, you're going to have to track those changes and reboot your competency every day. So let's forget trying to become competent. We can't become competent. We have to become intelligent. And if we're going to be intelligent in cross-cultural environments, then we're going to have to work with a team. So what is a TCQ team? TCQ team is a multicultural group that she, with shared responsibility for an organization's programs or project success. So we've all been on those, right? With people from different cultures, maybe they're from the same hometown as you are, but if they're a different age and a different gender, they're a different culture. If they're a different religion, they're a different culture. If they eat different food, they're a different culture. If they think in a different way, they're a different culture. If they've got more or less education, it's a different culture. So we're always theoretically, in multicultural environments. How many of you have a family? How many of you would say your family is monocultural? <laughs> Families aren't even monocultural anymore. And one of the reasons is that a generation used to be 30 years. That was back in the 50s. Baby boomers was a 30-year span. Now a generation, which means that people think in a different way, learn in a different way, relate in a different way, and observe and interpret their world in a different way, occurs every seven years. Now that was true five years ago. It may be five and a half years now. Which means that two siblings that are more than seven years apart are in two different generations. Which means in some families there's as many as four or five generations functioning under the same roof. We're in cross-cultural environments working with multicultural teams. So how does that work? How does a team function? It means that individual motivation, I'm here, you're here, is disclosed, accepted, and it's sublimated or it's given to the group so that that group can become successful. 
That means that we have to have a lot more transparency. This is why I'm here. Now, Astrid is at the back of the room. Astrid's helped us develop, our team develop this idea of transcultural intelligence. And Astrid and I are learning that our relationship has a lot of problems. We're learning that we need TCQ in our relationship. In Within Metrics Research Group, we need TCQ. Within my family, we need TCQ. And so this is not something that only works when you're on a short-term missions trip or when you're going to live somewhere for a long time. This is something that we need in our everyday life. Why? Because we live in multicultural environments, cross-cultural environments, with multicultural teams. If you work at a hospital, how many people are from somewhere else a different age, a different era, so you're working there. So would a TCQ team work for you? And the answer is not yes. If you are in an environment where there is no shared governance, in other words, one person calls the shot and everybody else has to do it, or you're in an environment where members of the team do not trust each other, TCQ cannot work for you. And so there's a lot of organizations that have no shared governance. This is is a good idea, but it is not going to work in that organization. And there are organizations in which people do not trust each other. Now, that can be remediated a lot easier than the shared governance thing. Okay? So I want to say that it isn't going to work for everybody. So what are the challenges to TCQ team formation? Cultural inequality within the team. Use of influence to manipulate and dominate. If there are people in the team who use their influence to manipulate and dominate either other people within the team or people that that team encounters, that's a huge, huge barrier. Hidden agendas, things that I would like to accomplish but that I'm doing it underhanded and I'm not disclosing to other people this is what I would like to accomplish. If you want to accomplish something, Tell them, this is what I would like to accomplish, and then you might get more cooperation. Sometimes those things are so hidden that we don't even know that that's what we're trying to do. So you have to get in touch with yourself. Mistrust of other team members, which we've talked about, lack of transparency, and lack of other awareness. Now, that's my huge problem, lack of other awareness. My wife is amazing. She can get in the elevator with somebody and they're telling her the life story because she is very other aware. I can sit by somebody on a 20-hour flight to Hong Kong and we never exchange a word because I'm not very other aware. So, you know, that's something that I have to deal with. So we need to know what are the barriers both personally and collectively to building a team. So here we are with our drive disclosure. Well, what's a drive? A drive is simply a response to reducing a need in your life. That means that we're motivated based on what we need. If if coming to this session meets a need in your life, then you're motivated to come here. If it doesn't meet a need in your life, then you can get up and walk out the door and it's not going to bother you in the least because there's no motivation there. So we are motivated as human beings, individual and collectively, by having our needs met. Now, we assume that other people know what we need, and we assume that they need the same thing we do, which is never true. So what we have to begin to do is become transparent. We need to become honest with each other. We need to understand the context of drive. So... 
We're going to break into small groups here. Pick somebody sitting beside you or a small group of three, and you've got a minute to talk about these three questions. I'll maybe be generous because I'm ahead of time here. I'll give you two and a half minutes. Um, And so I want you to talk about why do I want to serve, whatever service means to you, why am I at this conference, and why am I in this session? So you got three minutes. I want to hear some buzz. Go. actually start handing those out now. Uh, well, no. When, when, I, when I debrief on this, start handing them out. One minute. again. Okay, so some of you were very transparent with each other, but I would guess that some of you probably gave the official answer to those questions, not the real gut answer to those questions, because there may be some people are here uh, because they know that some girl or guy is going to be at this conference, so... Uh, Some people may be here because their boss told them they had to be here, but they'd rather be somewhere else. Uh, Some people are here because Louisville's a great place to be, and this is a good excuse to be here. So I don't know if anybody gave any of those reasons, but those might be some underlying reasons. Now, the reason that we don't, aren't really transparent with each other is because we don't trust each other enough. So Astrid is going to hand out, uh, and if we've got two other people that will volunteer... Bianca, and we got two other people. We're going to hand out a team trust survey. And I want you to go through this real quickly because, and you can take this home with you. Uh, You can fill it out now. But I want you to think about a team of people that you work with on a regular basis. It could be people at work. It could be people in your ministry. It could be your family. It could be any team that you think of, okay? So fill it out relevant to that team. And so when you fill this out, Uh, If you mark it one, that means you fully disagree with the statement. This statement is not true at all. And we just did this in Swaziland, like, (laughs) this week. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm hearing it in Saswati in my head. 
Uh, not that I speak Saswati, but I listen to them read this survey a lot of times. Okay, so number one means you fully disagree. Number two means that you partially disagree. In other words, uh, this isn't totally untrue, but it's not really true either. Number three means that you partially agree. This isn't always true, but it's more true than not. Okay? And number four means that this statement is entirely true. Okay? So, uh, this will require um, listening, reading, and eventually some math skills. So, you know, <laughs> sharpen your skill set. Okay. So, first statement. People feel free to participate in open discussion. In the team that I'm thinking about, people feel free to participate in open discussion. One means you disagree with that statement. This is not true of our team. Two, it's not really true of our team, but it's sometimes true. Three is it's generally true, but not always true. And four, this is always true of the team that I work with. Okay. Number two, people accept failure, take responsibility, and acknowledge faults. One, two, three, or four. Number three, there are no cliques or interest groups that seek advantage. And if anybody marks a four, then I want part of your team, okay? Yeah, yeah, I want to be on that team, okay? Number five. Okay, it's too fast. Are we going too fast? Well, one of the things that we've learned is the faster we go, the less you have time to think about it. So you tend to give us your gut answer, which is usually more truthful than your thought-out answer. So going fast is not bad, but I'll go a little slower. Okay. Five. People arrive. Four again? Well, you've got it written down there. Four. Okay. People in this group do not have hidden agendas. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Four. People in this group do not have hidden agendas. Five. People arrive at healthy consensus with participation by everyone. Not true, sometimes mostly not true, mostly true, or totally true. Six, people do not compete with each other inside your group. People do not compete with each other. Seven, people affirm each other. Mostly true, always true, not usually or never, okay. Eight, and any team I'm part of, this is not true. No one tries to dominate conversations, okay? No one tries to dominate conversations. Nine, people can trust team members with personal information. People can trust team members with personal information. Ten, people enjoy being a member of this team. Eleven. People give each other constructive feedback. Emphasis on the word constructive. Twelve. People do not try to get their own way when the group makes decisions. Thirteen. People recognize that each person's skills are important to the success of the group. And fourteen. Membership in this team helps my personal development. Okay, so you finished the survey. Transparency is only possible when there's trust. And so I want you to calculate your score. So add up the numbers. This is where the math skills come in, and I would be really slow, so um, I'm not going to use myself. I maybe should use myself as the median here and give you, I'll give you a minute or so to add up. It says 15 statements. Why is that 14? Uh, well, it's, then 14 would be the, the accurate thing, and this 15 is incorrect, and I'll change it. <laughs> 
Thank you. See, I told you my math skills are terrible. <laughs> Fortunately, we have a um, we have a a, a, team, a research group that um, we subcontract all the math work to, so <laughs> I don't have to do it. <laughs> Uh, and they have six PhD statisticians, so I, I don't really bother getting into it. Why should I when I can have more fun doing the other stuff? Okay, so what do those numbers mean? Okay, 1 to 15 is low trust. So if you've got a score of 1 to 15, you need to look for another organization to work with. The team is dysfunctional. 16 to 30 is its weak trust. The team is disorganized, and people don't really trust each other enough to be efficient or effective. 31 to 45, which is where most organizations should be, is moderate trust. The team gets the job done. They trust each other well enough to get the job done. And 46 to 60 is high trust. The team is a well-oiled machine. Okay, And so that means that the more we trust each other, the more we can be transparent, the fewer hidden agendas there are, the easier it is for us to function. And so when we start to think about being in an intercultural environment, the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, why should these people that we're coming to trust us? Or why should I trust them? Do I lock the car door because I'm now in the continent of Africa when I would never would at home? Do I keep all of my stuff around me because I don't trust anybody? That feeds off. And you'll never build a team with anybody that you don't trust and that doesn't trust you. And I've had to deal with that a lot in cross-cultural environments, and you will too. And ask yourself the question whether trust and team building is more important than stuff. Personally, I would rather build a team and have my car stolen because I know the gospel will be spread by a team that trusts each other. A car? There's donors back here that will buy you probably a new one. And you can maybe even get a better one because you had your car stolen. But don't lose your trust. The devil wants to take away trust. Why? Because if people that are doing ministry don't trust each other, they are completely ineffective. Well, maybe not completely, okay? I know, I, I have a tendency of overstating things, okay? So, what do we have to do? Well, multicultural teams have to address cultural parity because when we're in a multicultural environment, there are a whole lot of problems that we don't even have in our own family. There is a cultural hierarchy that's based on position and influence. And you've got to understand where you fit in that. There is disparity, and disparity amongst groups of people, short-term people coming in, foreign long-term missionaries coming in, local people there, people interacting with each other. There is disparity, and we always sort of have this kumbaya idea that we can all sit around and be equal. It is not going to happen. In every environment you find yourself, there is always going to be disparity, so use that disparity to the advantage of the team. Some people will have more influence than others. Recruit them. Some people have more resources than others. Bring them into your team. Some people know more than others. Have them on board. Know the people who's on your team and where their strengths are and then recruit the people in the community that have knowledge 
information, relationships, and, and time that you don't have. Not too long ago, we were with a group of missionaries and everybody was standing around talking about how busy they are. Anybody heard that conversation? Yes, everybody that's been overseas. Okay. How busy they are and how they can't get anything done and how they don't have any time for their family. That is not true. If you don't have time in most developing countries, you could hire people to do most of the work that you're running around doing yourself. You don't need to run all those errands. Build your team. Build a group of people who care about each other, who love each other, and who share common purpose for different reasons, and they will fill that so that nobody is busy. Nobody lacks knowledge. Nobody lacks relationships. Everybody has everything they need. Why? Because God is our Heavenly Father and supplies our needs. The needs that you say you have are standing there looking you in the face probably willing to be part of your team, but you've never asked them. When I was just in Dr. Smith's session, he talked about an illustration that was great. He talked about moving into his new office and he's running up and down the stairs carrying boxes of books. And somebody said to him, you're missing the people. And he was. He said, I was missing the people. Why? Well, if he had stopped and gotten to know a few of those students who were standing in the hallway doing nothing, they would have helped him carry those books and he would have built a relationship. Who can you bring into your team that is standing by doing nothing? I like the parable that Jesus gave us of the vineyard. Where even at the end of the day, there's only an hour of the day left. He says, go and recruit everybody that you can find that's loitering around in the marketplace and bring them on board. Never stop recruiting members for your team. So, Disparity cannot be eradicated, it must be addressed. And that means that we have a responsibility to remediate the negative impact of disparity. That means the more influence you have, the more responsibility you have to lift up those with less influence. To use what you have to bless them. Then they will use what they have to bless you, and that may be the widow's might that is the greatest gift that may be the woman with the anointing oil that pours it on Jesus' feet, who everybody else would have disregarded, and the Judas would have sold the anointing oil, and Jesus said, her action today will be remembered throughout eternity. That person may be right there. So we need to be aware that if we have influence, then we have the responsibility to use that influence to raise up every other member of the team. And if we're a member of the team that has low responsibility and low influence, then we need to expect other team members to lift us up. That's how the body of Christ works. I mean, Paul used the intended example of the body of Christ and said the seemly parts actually are more less important than the unseemly parts. And I'm not sure exactly if you go back into the Greek exactly what he meant by seemly, and I don't want to know uh, because my wife is the nurse in the family, not me. Okay, so... How do we assess our personal influence? Well, I want you to go through this real quick, and we're going to break into a group. So I want you to break into a group, and I want you to talk about which of these factors raise your influence and which of them lower your influence. Now, I want you to think about it in your home environment, wherever that may be. But understand that as soon as you leave your home environment, what was a plus in your home environment may be a negative in the environment to which you go. 
So you need to always be calculating in the context of your external environment, how much influence do I have? So talk to each other. Gender, race, education, economic status, age. So I'm white here. In some places, that's a disadvantage. So talk about it. I will give you three minutes. Okay. I'm glad that you're um, engaged with each other. Now, a simple question. If you're building a team, do you want to build your team of people who have exactly the same profile as you do, or do you want to build your team of people who have completely different profiles? Yeah, I got all the right nods. So on the different profiles, that means that when we're building a team of people who have different profiles than us, that means our team is expanded. I like to travel with my wife. First of all, she's a woman, and so she's different than me. Secondly, she has social skills that I don't have. And so she is able to talk to people in a way that that I can't. She's accepted by people that find her non-threatening, that find me very threatening. Uh, She's more patient. She's more tolerant some of the time than I am, except when she sees people who are not driving as they should. Um, (laughs) And then she can be pretty tough. But And then Astrid standing at the back of the room. She's from Colombia. She speaks Spanish, which I don't speak very well. Um, she has access to people. But when we go to Colombia, there are places where she needs me because I'm an older white guy uh, with a degree. And uh, she has a degree, but not the same thing. She's a woman. And so when we walk into an office in an academic university, I've got some things that she needs as the team member. But she's got some assets that I need as a team member. And so we have to work together. So we're not looking for people who are like us. We're looking for people who are unlike us, which means that building that trust has to be very, very intentional. Why? Because we're looking for a collective drive. Now, this is the piece in TCQ that is really different and important about intelligence, is that it's not about how motivated I am or what motivates me. But it's what motivates each person that we encounter. And how can they trust that this group has at heart their needs? If the members of your team, whether they're permanent members of your team or incidental members of your team, which can be somebody that you're asking for directions on the street, what do they need? The person that's giving you directions on the street, what do they need? Maybe it's a simple thank you. In many countries, it's a polite greeting before you ask them, which I have to always stop myself. I can't just ask directions. I have to say, isn't this a nice day? How are you today? I have no idea who you are, and I really don't care. I need to get direction to somewhere, but I have to stop and at least act as though I care because that's what they need from me. And if they don't get it, I'm not going to get what I need. And so when we're building these teams, whether they're permanent teams or temporary teams, we need to be aware of what the other people need because then we can build collective drive. Success means that all of us get what we need. And your team is going to have a lot of enthusiastic people who are giving their all because they can trust the other members of the team to help them get what they need. 
Sometimes a translator on your team needs somebody that they can practice their English with. Sometimes a translator on your team needs somebody, they just need money. That's why they're there. Sometimes they need to be introduced to somebody. So figure out what it is they need, help them get it, and you'll have a translator that will do a much, much better job than they would have otherwise done. We need to understand that this convening drive that's brought about by trust and transparency is at the heart of building effective multicultural teams that can work in any cross-cultural environment. Without trust and transparency, you're dead in the water and you're going to be fighting invisible, invisible battles the whole time you're trying to function. And so it's really, really crucial. Honest disclosure starts with me. I need to be honest as to why I'm here. I need to be able to say it's important to me to be here because I want to make some contacts with people who are so passionate about doing better work for the kingdom of God as I am because those are good partners for me. And people who have access to people that I don't even know and that are involved in ministries that I've never even heard of. Because that's a lot better than people that are doing exactly the same thing that I do. And so that's what's important for me. And so disclosing your personal motivation takes risk. Because we become vulnerable. But when we become vulnerable, other members of the team are going to be willing to become vulnerable too. And that transparency and trust and vulnerability grows and grows and the team becomes a functioning body, a body of Christ. But we've got to have that. And it starts with being learners of each other and ourselves. When we accept diverse motivations within the team, it'll build trust, it will reinforce transparency, and it'll create a camaraderie that can't exist otherwise. So, What makes you tick? We're back to the same three questions. (laughs) What makes you tick? Now, I want you to turn to the person you talked to the first time around and be a little more transparent. I'm going to give you one minute. Okay. So that was a short minute, but it was a minute. And I hope that since you have shared a little bit about your personal life with the person next to you, whether you knew them when you walked in or not, that this time around you were able to be slightly more transparent, slightly more honest, dig down a little bit deeper and say really some of the things that really motivate you, what you really need. need. This is such an important thing to do because if we can build... Teams that are truly based on trust, transparency, care and concern for each other, we can transform our world. When we listened to the general session last night about human trafficking, people become victims because they don't trust their families, they don't trust their friends, they don't trust their community, they're not willing to be transparent. And so they're seeking to escape, and they usually escape to an even worse situation. We do the same thing. We run around trying to find a place 
where we can be ourselves without having to be transparent. It isn't going to happen. It doesn't say in the gospel, confess your faults one to another so you can be forgiven. It says confess your faults one to another. Why? So that you can become the body of Christ. We need to be transparent about who we are and what we struggle with and where we have problems in our lives so that we can be team members. And some of who we are isn't all that nice. Now, the reality is they know about it anyway. (laughs) People know I'm short-tempered. I don't need to tell them that. They know that. But when I confess my fault, it means I know it too, and now we can talk about it. We give permission to people to engage in our lives. Then they will give us permission to engage in their lives, and together we become something that we could never be. We become the body of Christ. So I want to move to the last section here. And this is a TCQ drive self-check. I always forget what that little box with the check-in means. Um, In my home life, I am very transparent. Yes or no, you can just think about this. I know what motivates me, and I let others know. I am aware of the areas in my life that make me feel vulnerable and erode my influence. We need to own them. Because then other people can come alongside and fill that gap for us. You'll never be able to fill it yourself. You need others. When working out problems or developing strategies, I listen more than I talk. Oh, I don't. In my work group, I am very transparent. Yeah, I'm pretty good about that. I am interested in learning how to affirm others. I go out of my way to make others feel secure. When working with others who may feel inferior, I am sensitive to their sense of disparity. Even when someone is motivated by a baser drive, I affirm their motivational drive. We're not all noble. We're all a work in progress. We're all somewhere where God is working on us. Well, I hope this has been somewhat helpful for you, and we've got a couple minutes yet for Q&A, but I do want to do some advertising. Um, If you come and get a business card from me, you can go to the Metrics um, display booth, and you can pick up a blue bag, a white bag, or a red bag, okay? Uh, Our gift to you. If you've got money in your pocket, and we'd love to give them away, but we can't afford to. It's not a good economic model, and I have everybody in my organization telling me that the economic model doesn't work. It doesn't work, but I still like wish it did, that we could give everything away. This is a $10 book, um, and it's our TCQ book that talks about this. So basically, we have covered Chapter 2, which is the first section of this. Um, and if you would like it, you can, you can get it. Um, so, we want to take a couple minutes now for Q&A, and um, if you've got questions, comments, if there's things you think that I can correct or change and I've got it wrong, which is definitely possible, uh, because, like I said, I'm still learning and experimenting with this, um, let's do some feedback. So, anybody, hands up. Yep. Do you do one-on-one ministry assessments? With ministry organizations? Yes, we do. We'll do trainings for this. We also sit down with them and find out what they're doing well and figure out ways in which they can quantify that so they can do better and they can communicate the degree of their success, both in scope and degree, um, to people who might be able to join their team financially often, but sometimes in many other ways. 
So yes, we are available. Yes. There was a slide about factors that increase your influence. Mm -hmm. We wondered where personal experience, what box that would fit in. Um, that's a, that's a good question, and I don't have a good answer for it. Um, my my guess answer would be that um, most most people don't look at your personal experience initially. Um, they they get to know you as a person, and so um, leading with your experience is in some cultures important. In other cultures, it's a huge turnoff. Um, but uh, that's maybe something we should consider throwing in into that list. Yeah, good, good point. I'll note it. Astrid, did you take a note? Yes. Okay. Somebody else? Yes. Uh, how much research do you all have on, on, on these that you can talk about? Uh, we have a lot of research in the book. We actually get into theory. Um, I tried to avoid theory in this because I wanted to be practical, um, but there is theory because there are. Theoretical, and there's whole sciences that um, explore things like communication, trust, and stuff like that. Uh, we do design surveys that, that measure those things. So right now we're working with Feed My Starving Children. We're designing an instrument that can be used multiculturally. We've tested it in the Philippines. Uh, Swaziland, Dominican Republic, that measures the degree of stability, the quality of relationships, and the um, sense of mission. Uh, that changes when people receive food and they have food security. So food security produces those three things. And if it's not producing them, then it needs to be distributed in a different way or different things need to be associated with it. So they're intent on measuring those three things and we're helping them do that. So we have a number of different instruments that we've designed for different organizations, but come by the booth and we'll talk to you about it. Others? Yes? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, what's the best way for an organization to find out um, whether what they've been doing, their programs, their, their ministry has been effective or not? Well, for me, um, as either a giver or, or, something, okay. or as a missionary, okay. what's the best way for me to find oh, out? Oh, for you to find out. Okay. Um, well, there's there's... You know, I mean, the, the simple answer is qualitative research. In other words, to sit down with people and ask them. There's always the problem that people, if they know that you're asking about an organization, that they want to give you the right answer because they don't want to be offensive or whatever or betray. So usually what's important is talking to different organizations. And so usually what we would do if we're going in to do that kind of assessment is we will look for other organizations in the community that are not necessarily friends of the organization that I'm sponsoring, and we'll ask how well do they do their work. And you'll be surprised at how honestly they'll answer. Um, often we don't want to find out what's not working, um, in which case you need to be very well prepared. We also, for example, if we're doing work with children, um, an organization that does education, for example, we will ask their parents, we will ask the teachers, we will ask other children, we will ask people in the community how well or what's going on, what's happening. And so by getting a multi, uh, set of multi-perspectives, that's the simplest way of doing it. So what you want to do is find the quote-unquote informed populations and ask them. That's the simplest. 
if you have done enough work to do that, then the simplest way is to create a survey, validate it, test it for reliability, hand out a survey, you get the survey results back, which means that you can do a thousand questions. You can ask a thousand people for their information instead of 20, which is about the time you would take if you were going to talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. So um, really, to be able to quantify it and use a survey approach, if you're going to do it frequently, it's worth doing that. So um, that's probably not even answering your question, is it? <laughs> Sorry about that. Did that answer your question at all? Okay. Ask people what they think. And ask a wide range of people. Uh, Charity Navigator um, offers some of that. Uh, there are people that do third-party assessments. Um, find out if the organization. We did a, a research project. Now, this is really off the topic, but we did a research project with the foundation on finding out why high net worth donors do or don't give. And one of the things that was really surprising is that if an organization only reports that things are going well, it's not credible. So if an organization, everything is good, everything is rosy all the time, they're lying to you. Or at least they're not being honest. And so for high net worth donors, they're looking for people that are honest. That means they need to know when something's not going well and what you're doing about it and invite them to help you do something about it. That will build trust. So transparency and trust are important in all of these relationships. Somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree. I wish somebody had taught me this 40 years ago. It would have saved me a lot of grief. Well, actually, it would have saved a lot of other people a lot of grief, even more than me. But, uh, yeah. So I think, no, I think, and that's why we're doing this, is because I believe it's so important. I mean, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, you could equip somebody, and generally the culture they were going to was fairly static. Now, that's not possible. You can't, you can't equip somebody to go anywhere because what was true a year ago isn't true now. So they've got to be, they've, they've got to be equipped this way. They've got to work intelligently. And so I think it's, this time is, is right for this to be rolled out. Somebody else? Yeah, last question, actually. Confessing that you do not trust your team. Yeah. Yes. Or just confessing that you're not being transparent. We are facing a really hard time. Uh, we work only in Cuba. Mm -hmm. And our teams in country are telling us, um, you know, face to face, we don't trust you. Wow. Or we don't trust each other. And it's really hard for us to understand, you know, that they don't trust and they tell us, mm -hmm. you know, and they say, yeah. well, that people is not transparent to me. Yeah. So, with your presentation, that makes me think, is that good that they are confessing that they yeah. trust? Yes. <laughs> or is there one step advanced in that yeah. process? So, you know. Yeah, it's good. Now, the question is, what are you going to do with that information? I remember when I was a young missionary, 
I was sitting with the leader of the organization, the national leader, and he said, I know why you're here. And I said, well, you know, that's interesting. Why am I here? He said, well, because all you guys come from the states and all you're interested in is finding a place where you can tell people what to do. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, you know, that, you know, that may be true. I said, you know, I hadn't really considered that about myself. I am bossy. Um, but, you know, that's not why I'm here. And if you really think that's why I'm here, I should pack up and leave because I'm doing more harm than good. From that point, we began to build a very productive relationship, which taught me that I needed to be very transparent with my brothers and sisters because as I became transparent, they were transparent with me and we could really help each other a lot more. And so I think it's a good thing, but it's a painful thing. And so it's like one of the examples I use in the book is that I had this friend of mine when we were in college, and she was an attractive girl, but she was missing a tooth right here. And so everybody knew she was missing a tooth, but every time we would line up for a picture, she would go and smile crooked to cover up that missing tooth with her lip. All it did is make her look in the pictures like she was disfigured. We all knew she didn't have a tooth. We needed to talk about it. We needed to encourage her. We needed to love her. And we needed to affirm her. And so it's really important that we do that. And if you can be more vulnerable and more transparent with your brothers and sisters in Cuba, you're going to overcome that problem. Thank you so much for your time today. Come up and get your business card if you want a bag. Pardon? Yes.